from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. When the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband, told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. And after he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. Prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me that I asked what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Thank you, Craig. And thank all of you for being a part of this morning. Um, as we honor and celebrate our babies and their families, it's great to be in a place where there are little ones, where we hear crying during worship services, where we have to look underneath our feet and know that there's children around. Um, wouldn't it be a really sad thing if everybody kind of looked like me, you know, bald and gray and all that? I mean, actually, those children did look kind of like me. Most of them, didn't they? They were kind of bald, but not gray. Um, it's wonderful to have young children, and I know there's some more on the way during this year, so we look forward to doing this again next year. So we are in the fourth week of a sermon series that's titled, Resolve to Follow. As I've mentioned each week, this is a sermon series that grows out of our theme for Netherwood Park, our 2014 theme, which is that all may know we are disciples of Christ. It's a theme that reflects our shared desire to live and to walk with Jesus at all times, in all places, and in every circumstance, so that there will never be any doubt about who it is that we follow, about who it is that we serve. In the first week of the series, we talked about not being enigmatic Christians, and about, about not being Christians who present different faces in different places. Instead, being Christians who show the conformed nature, the conformed nature of Christ to the world around us in every situation, at all time, in all places. And in the second week, we talked about getting dusty, about being covered in the dust that only comes about from walking closely in Jesus' steps. We stress the importance of leaving behind the filth that comes from walking in sin and instead putting on that dust, instead of being covered in that dust, the dust of compassion and kindness, the dust of humility and gentleness, the dust of patience and forgiveness, and the dust of love. The dust that, to use Fernando's phrase that he used on the cover of the bulletin this week, the dust that Jesus kicked up all around him while he was on earth with us. That's the dust that we want to be covered in. And then last week we explored the need for counting the cost. The need for counting the cost of following Jesus. We stress the reality that the privilege of wearing the name of Christ does come with a cost. Some things will have to be left behind. Priorities will have to be adjusted. Habits will have to be broken. Because when we choose to give up control of our own lives and give control to Jesus, 
It's going to cost us something. Things will be different. Our lives will be interfered with. And today, today as we celebrated new life, as we honored young families, I think it's the perfect opportunity to talk about the important, importance of being resolutely determined to place our children on the path of following Jesus Christ. We, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, family, and church family, want to make sure that we start our children on the path of following Jesus Christ. We want to make sure that we're resolutely determined to walk with them on that path and support them on that path so they too will be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ by walking in his dust. I want to stop for just a moment and I want to ask a question. How many people in here, when they look all the way back to their very early childhood, can trace their introduction to Jesus to a parent or a grandparent or some other family member? How many people in here can trace that all the way back? Yeah, it's, it's the vast majority of us that look back and we can identify family members who introduced us to Jesus. But there are a lot of us here that didn't have those kind of family members. And God bless you, and God did bless you by putting other people in your life to introduce you to Jesus. But for most of us, that's the way we started on the path of following Jesus. For me, it was primarily my mom. My mom was the one who had us at church every single time the doors were open. It was my mom who worked with us on our memory verses. It was my mom who gave us the coins to drop in the collection plate. It was my mom who took us to vacation Bible school and picked up our friends and took them to vacation Bible school as well. It was my mom who made sure even when we were on vacation that we went to church. And even more radical than that, she made sure that we went to Bible class when we were on vacation. It was my mom that set me on the path of following Jesus. Now, certainly, I had to make a decision on my own, would I follow Jesus or not? But without my mom setting me on that path, I shudder to think what path I might be on now. I would like to think that I would have found my way to Jesus, but I simply don't know. And so I thank God every day for my mom and her setting me on that path. So what a tremendous gift my mom gave me. A tremendous gift by making Jesus a part of my life from the very earliest memory that I have, and making the church a part of my life from the very beginning. And that's the thing, isn't it, about parents and grandparents and family? We want what's best for our children. We want to do everything in our power to provide our kids whatever they need, whatever they need to make them happy and successful and fulfilled for the rest of their lives. That's what we want for our children. But I also know sometimes we as parents and grandparents and family members and adults get our priorities mixed up. Sometimes we lose sight of what's really important in our children's lives. Sometimes our priorities get turned completely upside down. We lose sight of what our kids really need. And that brings us to our key point that you'll find on your sermon outline in your bulletin this morning. The key point is this, the greatest gift that we can give our children is to give them to the Lord. The greatest gift we can give our children is to give them to the Lord. 
Go ahead and turn, if you will, to our text. It's 1 Samuel, and it's in chapter 1. It's a long story. I know many of you are familiar with it. And I'm not going to take the time to read it all, but let me give you some background, some information that we need to help us understand our text this morning. There's some key figures in this story. One of the key figures is Elkanah. He's a devout man of God. He's a man who goes to the tabernacle on a regular basis to worship God. And he's a man with two wives. His first wife is Penina. Penina is the mother of his sons and daughters. And Elkanah takes care of Penina, but not as much as he takes care of his second wife, Hannah. Hannah is the wife who he really loves. Hannah is his favorite, but Hannah has a problem. Hannah isn't able to have children. So the situation that we enter into is Hannah has been suffering from emotional abuse from her fellow wife for a long time. And the abuse centers around one thing. Penina gives her a hard time because Hannah is not able to have children. And her husband does what he can, but it's not enough, and she's distraught. And so one year on the family's annual trip to Shiloh to worship in the tabernacle, Hannah did something different. It wasn't the same old trip. It wasn't the same old journey. And that's where we pick up our story in verse 9 of chapter 1. The Bible says this. It says, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the tabernacle. And in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give me a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli, the high priest, observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Well, Eli and Hannah got that misunderstanding all sorted out, and Hannah left the tabernacle with Eli's blessing, and also with a renewed spirit. And soon she conceived, and she gave birth to a son, and she named that son Samuel. And after Samuel was weaned, Hannah took him back to the tabernacle, back to Eli at Shiloh. And once more, she approached Eli. So let's pick up our story in verse 26. And Hannah said to Eli, As surely as you live, my lord... I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given to the Lord. Given to the Lord. I like the sound of that. Now I think the surprising part of the story isn't the vow that Hannah made. You would almost expect that vow. In fact, we kind of play that game with God a lot of times, don't we? God, if you'll give me that, I will do this for you. And Hannah's vow sounds a little bit like that. God, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. Making the vow is not what surprises me. What surprises me is the fact that Hannah kept the vow. After years of being childless, she literally gives her child Samuel to God. She places him in God's service. 
She takes him to the tabernacle and actually drops him off. Can you imagine how difficult that must have been? Can you empathize with how emotionally devastating this had to be for Hannah? The son that she's longed for, the son that she's prayed for, she's giving back to the Lord. So how was she able to do that? How was Hannah able to let go of her son and turn him over to God? Well, I think the secret for Hannah was that Hannah wasn't really giving a gift to God. Hannah was giving a gift to Samuel. See, Hannah was entrusting her son to the one who heard her prayers. She was entrusting her son to the one who answered her prayers. She was entrusting her son to the God who looked on her with love and mercy and compassion and gave her what she couldn't give herself. Hannah had such faith and trust and confidence in God that she recognized that the best gift that she could possibly give to her long-awaited son Samuel was to give him to the Lord. And because of her faith, and because of her trust, and because of her confidence, and because of her gift to Samuel, God's people received a great prophet. And they received a great leader, a man, Samuel, who throughout his life walked with his God. And I think we, as a people, share a desire to have our children walk with God throughout their lives. I think there's at least four important lessons that we can learn as we desire to have our children walk with God. Four lessons that we can learn from Hannah. And the first lesson is this. It's that giving our children to the Lord puts them in the care of the one who can do what we cannot. Giving our children to the Lord puts them in the care of the one who can do what we cannot. You know, there are many important things that we can do for our children. There are many important things that we can give to our children. But we can't give them life forever with God. Jesus I guess it shouldn't surprise us, said it best. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Giving our children to God, placing them on the path to follow Jesus, is recognizing that that path, and only that path, leads to the only thing that really matters. Life with the Father. So giving our children to the Lord puts them in the care of the one who can do what we cannot do for them. The second lesson that we learn from Hannah's story is that giving our children to the Lord is not the same as giving them to the church. Giving our children to the Lord is not the same as giving them to the church. You'll notice Hannah didn't give Samuel to the tabernacle. You'll notice that Hannah didn't even give Samuel to Eli. Hannah gave Samuel to God. And I don't want to minimize the importance of church in our children's lives. It's vitally important. And I don't want to minimize the importance of godly men and women in the lives of our children. They are vitally important. But I do want us to understand that our goal is to raise children whose lives revolve around Jesus not to raise children whose lives revolve around a church. Churches will sometimes fail our children. 
And people will sometimes fail our children, but Jesus Christ will never fail our children. So we need to understand that giving our children to the Lord is not the same as giving them to the church. Well, our third lesson from Hannah's story is about the importance of people. The importance of godly people in the lives of our children. Because our children learn to follow by following followers. That's a lot of follows in there. Children learn to follow by following followers. Samuel learned to follow God by first following Hannah and then by following Eli. It's their steps who led him to God. If we're serious about giving our children to the Lord, we will also be serious about giving ourselves to the Lord. Our children will follow us. Wherever we go, our children will follow us. So our steps need to follow Jesus. Because if our steps follow Jesus, they will find him by following us. Our children will learn to follow Jesus by following us if and only if we are followers of Jesus Christ. Well, our next lesson that we learn from Hannah is that children should never doubt, never have any doubt that the only ambition that really matters in life is to follow in the steps of Jesus Christ. The only ambition that really matters in life is to follow Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, I think this is a lesson that a lot of us struggle with. And I'll speak from personal experience. It's a lesson that I struggled with in raising my children. I have no doubt that all of us who are here who consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus Christ want nothing more in the world Nothing greater in the world than to have our children grow up to be faithful disciples of Christ. That's our desire. That's our hope. That's our dream. That's what we want for our children. But unfortunately, I also know that our words and our actions sometimes tell a different story. As our children are growing up, sometimes we send a different message about where our priorities lie. And so then our children learn different priorities. Our words and actions often tell a different story about what we think is most important in our children's lives. I'm going to give a very partial and very quick list of some things that we all need to agree to and we all need to understand. Academic success is not more important than following Jesus Christ. Athletic success is not more important than following Jesus Christ. Artistic success is not more important than following Jesus Christ. Economic success is not more important than following Jesus Christ. Social success is not more important than following Jesus Christ. Nothing is more important in our lives nor in the lives of our children than following Jesus Christ. And we need to make sure as adults, as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and family friends, that we clearly and consistently teach and live out this lesson for our children at every single stage of their lives. So with those four lessons in mind, what can we do right now? What can we do 
as parents and grandparents and family and friends and other adults in the church to start our children and keep our children on the path of following Jesus. I'm going to quickly suggest four things because some of our babies are ready to go and eat, I think. Four things that I think that we can all do. First is to make your home a tabernacle of the Lord. Make your home a tabernacle of the Lord. Hannah took Samuel to the tabernacle because that's where she knew God could be found. The tabernacle was God's dwelling place. That's not true for us. God is in this place, but we know that God dwells in us. How wonderful to know that we are God's dwelling place. So we shouldn't ever feel that the only place that our children can encounter God, the only place that our children can be in the presence of God is in a church building. That's simply not true. Our our children should feel God's presence everywhere, especially, especially in our homes. So my challenge to all of us is to dedicate and consecrate our homes to the Lord. Let's all make our homes tabernacles of the Lord. The second thing that we can all do to start and keep our kids on Jesus' path is to make Jesus an ever-present part of our families. An ever-present part of our families. Our homes, our lives, our activities, our speech, everything we do should be Christ-centered. It should be done with an awareness that Jesus is present. Jesus is present in our lives at all times. He's present in our lives in all places. He's present in our lives in every circumstance. So we need to make sure that we make Jesus an ever-present part of our families at all times. The third thing that we can do for our children is to celebrate. Is to celebrate steps on Jesus' path. We know how to celebrate, don't we? We celebrate a lot of things. We celebrate academic achievements. We celebrate athletic achievements, artistic achievements. We celebrate career achievements. We celebrate birthdays and anniversaries and on and on. We know how to celebrate. Shouldn't we be even more eager to celebrate our children's steps as they follow Jesus? Celebrate. Rejoice with your children when you see Jesus in them. What greater thing to celebrate than seeing Jesus in your children? Praise every speck of Jesus' dust that you see on them. Make sure that they know that demonstrating compassion is worth celebrating. That demonstrating kindness is worth celebrating. That demonstrating humility and gentleness and patience is worth celebrating. That demonstrating forgiveness and love in their lives is something that is worth celebrating because we see Jesus in them. We need to know and they need to understand that all of those things are more important than anything else that we could possibly celebrate. So celebrate the children's steps in following Jesus. But we also must remember that children aren't just the responsibility of their parents. And they're not just the responsibility of their grandparents and extended family. They're the responsibility of all of us. We've said that we're giving these children to the Lord. 
But we also need to understand that the Lord has given them to us. He has entrusted them to us. He's entrusted them to our care. Not because we have everything figured out, but because we are also Christ followers. Because we are God's people. So we need to do everything in our power as an extended family, as a church family, to place our children and keep our children on the path that follows Jesus Christ. So as we close, that's the source of my invitation today. That's what I'm going to ask you to commit to as we stand up and sing here in just a couple of minutes. We're going to sing a song about the reality of Jesus. We're going to sing a song about our faith and belief in our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. And as we do that, I want everybody here to commit to two things. Two things. The first is this. Let's commit to showing Jesus' compassion, Jesus' kindness, His humility, His gentleness, His patience, His forgiveness, and His love. Commit to showing that to our children and to their parents. Because they've taken on a very long and difficult task. And they need our kindness. They need our forgiveness. They need our patience. And let's commit to showing it to them. And second, let's all commit to recognizing and celebrating with our children and their parents when the children demonstrate Jesus' dust. When the children demonstrate compassion and kindness when they demonstrate humility and gentleness, when they demonstrate patience, forgiveness, and love, that shouldn't just be a small family celebration. That should be a church celebration when we see Jesus Christ in the lives of our children. And let's commit to doing that together. So please make those two commitments as we stand together and let's sing out to our God.